it's flu season, which means it's a good time for all of us to remember the difference between a symptom and a sickness. Runny nose, fatigue, headache, body aches. Is it the flu? Is it a cold? Are you just worn down after a long week? Well, you can't catch exhaustion most of the time, but you can catch the flu. But if you catch the flu, what do you do about it? Yes, you can go to your doctor in the first 24 hours, and if you take Tamiflu, it's supposed to lighten the symptoms and shorten the recovery time, but you're still stuck with it. The flu is one of those things that you have to wait until your body fights it off, until the virus has run its course. You can't fix it, you've just gotta wait with it. Treating the symptoms is wise. If you've got a fever or your body hurts, you should take an analgesic, you should push fluids, you should get enough rest so your body can mend itself. But despite attending to all the symptoms, the sickness is another issue entirely. And these lessons, all three of these lessons and the collect for the day that we prayed a few moments ago, all of them remind us that sin is a lot like the flu that you can address the symptoms, but fixing the underlying sickness is a whole nother thing. In each of these stories, we hear about the prophet Isaiah, the apostle Paul and Simon, who's also called Peter, and we watch as they have an encounter with the holy that calls them up short. The prophet is drawn into a vision of God sitting on God's throne in the temple. So majestic is the sight that the hem of God's robe completely fills the temple. And the prophet says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes, they've seen the Lord, the God of hosts. Paul remembers for us his status, his lack of status among his peers as he writes to the Corinthians, calling himself the least among the apostles, not even fit to be called an apostle because he had spent so much time persecuting the church. And Simon, when the nets bring in more fish than anyone could have imagined them catching, he falls down at Jesus' knees and cries, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. All of these lessons are portrayals of sin and inadequacy, and you would expect then that our worship today would have a somber or, or even a Lenten feel to it, but that's not the case, because these lessons aren't really about sin, they're about what comes next. They're about healing. They're about wholeness. They're about a newfound fruitfulness. Likewise, when we, and I include myself in the we, when we hear a preacher start a sermon by talking about sin, we all kind of expect to either leave feeling miserable about ourselves or angry at the preacher for the preacher's hypocrisy, and I hope that won't be the case. But I do note that the reason I think we bring those expectations with us when we hear stories from the Bible about sin or hear a preacher talking at us about sin, 
Those expectations are caught up in the tendency that we have to confuse symptom and sickness. Because usually when somebody's talking to us about sin, they're trying to make us feel guilty about the symptoms without ever offering us any hope that the sickness might be fixed. When Isaiah and Paul and Simon, when they come upon the holy, it's not a sense of guilt that exposes them. It's a sense of inadequacy, a sense of incompleteness. It's not that they're worried God would discover the secrets of their hearts, but instead they've come face to face with the reality that their lives don't quite reflect the perfection of the one they've encountered, which is always the case when we allow ourselves to dwell in God's presence. Things aren't the way they could be. And in the church, we don't help ourselves because we use confusing double meanings when we talk about words like sin. The word sin means what we think it means, which is that laundry list of things done and left undone, those misdeeds and omissions that, that when we remember them, we feel kind of bad about it. That is sin, but sin is also that gap, that distance, that space between who God is and who we are between what God wants and what we want. Sin is that inevitability that comes up time and time again, that, that things don't end up the way we wish they would, no matter how hard we try. And you don't have to be a religious person to, to get that, right? You, everyone knows that things could be better, that left to our own devices, the lives we create or the societies we build will be plagued by injustice and extortion, and greed, and selfishness, and pollution, and racism, and all those other sins. They're sins, but sin is also that distance, that incompleteness, that brokenness. And these lessons are about not hitting ourselves over the head with the mistakes that we've made, but hearing God meet us, and fix us, and put us together so that God might use us in a bold way. The seraph comes and touches Isaiah's lips with a burning coal, a pretty dramatic image of purification, really. The point being that once that action has been taken by God and God's angels, then when God asks, whom shall we send? The prophet can say, here am I, send me. When Jesus meets Paul on the Damascene Road, he doesn't condemn him to death, the same death that Paul had condemned so many followers of Jesus to. He meets him and refocuses that zealotry so that Paul might be the apostle to the Gentiles. And Simon, when he falls at Jesus' feet and says, depart from me, Lord, I guess Jesus could have taken him at his word and thrown him overboard, but he didn't. Instead, God says to him and to any who would listen, do not be afraid, for soon you will be catching people. Much like the flu, sin is something we can address symptomatically, but with time to fix that brokenness underneath, it's a little trickier than that, isn't it? When we hurt someone, we can apologize for it, 
But how long will it be before we owe another apology? We can forsake the misdeeds of our past even before our medical school yearbook photos are made public. But is that enough to remove the stain of prejudice that dwells in our hearts and our minds, and more importantly, in the institutions that have made us who we are? God has something else in mind. When we come to church, and we say the confession, and we hear the priest pronounce God's absolution, yes, the slate is wiped clean, but do we really think that what God wants is that yo-yo dieting of sin and forgiveness that we go through week after week after week? No. God wants something else. God wants to make us whole. God wants to take our imperfections and put us back together so that we might do that work that God is giving us to do. God isn't looking for perfect people who have the power to make the world the place God dreams it could be. God's looking for ordinary, broken, sinful people like you and like me. People who are willing to be made perfect so that this world might become the place God dreams it could be one person at a time. We need the power of love to pull us back together. If the only hope that we have is that we might sprinkle some good in the world every time injustice or poverty or sin or sickness shows itself to us, it's important for us to do that. We must fight that fight in the name of love. But when will it end? When will that bit that plagues us finally be put to rest? When, when God takes each of us and makes us new, and takes away that part of us that seems to get in the way every time we want things to be the way they could be. We need to be made perfect in love so that we might love the world perfectly. And when we do, we discover that it isn't we who are loving the world at all, but God who is loving the world through us. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.